Hey everybody, it's Dr. Mark Hyman. Welcome. I'm here with my good friend and one of my teachers, uh, Chris Kresser, who's an extraordinary doctor, has done so much to advance the field of functional medicine, and, and I'm just really excited to have him here. He's a leader in the field of ancestral health, paleo nutrition, functional medicine. He's created chriscresser.com, which is my go-to site for learning stuff that I want to know, uh, one of the top 25 natural health sites in the world, and he's written the, your personal paleo code, which is a New York Times bestseller, and his recent book called Unconventional Medicine is really about this whole functional medicine movement and what we can do to really reverse this growing tide of chronic disease that's crippling our population with ill health and bankrupting our economy and just really a big problem, which is something that I obviously talk about a lot. So Chris, I'm, I'm super excited about this book. Um, you know, I was at your book launch party last week in LA and you were, we were bringing together all these great thought leaders in functional medicine and sharing some of the common experiences we've gone through and, and how we got here. So maybe you could share with us today uh, your background and, and what you went through that brought you into this world of, of alternative functional medicine. Sure. Well, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Mark. So thanks for having me again. Uh, you know, like many people, including yourself, who came to functional medicine, I came to it uh, through my own experience of illness. Um, in my case, I was traveling in Indonesia doing some surfing over there in my 20s, mm. and I, I, I got the classic tropical illness, you know, uh, vomiting, diarrhea, delirium. Uh, I was so sick, I don't even really remember much of the three days uh, that that was happening. And uh, I had a, you know, there was an Australian guy living in the village who had some antibiotics that helped kind of bring me back from the brink. But uh, that turned out to be only the beginning of a decade long uh, journey back to health uh, that, that really, you know, among other things, highlighted the insufficiency of conventional medicine for dealing with complex chronic illness. You know, all the doctors I saw met well. Um, but it was just clear that they didn't have the tools to deal with the kind of challenges that I was facing. Or the, frame, or the framework. Or, or the framework or the paradigm or the understanding of it at all. And so, you know, they prescribed antibiotics for the infection and that helped a little bit. But in some cases, the, the treatment can be worse than the disease, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that was definitely true in this case. And, and when it came time to help me actually navigate the complexities of diet and lifestyle and behavior change and, and, and doing the kind of more advanced testing to find other things that were going on, my doctors just by their own admission, you know, they weren't the right people to help with that. They didn't know what to do. They'd just throw up their hands and say, I'm sorry, I see how much you're suffering. I'd like to be able to help, but I, I, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so that inspired me to do my own uh, investigation and study and um, started to make progress and recover my health. And then eventually, you know, people around me started to ask, hey, what, you know, what have you been doing? You know, I'd like to know more about that. And so it, it occurred to me over time that what I had learned in my own process of recovery could help other people. And that's when I went, decided to go back to school and pursue this as, as a career. And here I am. That's amazing. All from a surfing trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I was not, I didn't have the intention of becoming a, you know, a doc, a, a practitioner. I, when I was a kid, I, and you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, but it, I, I don't, I don't know if I ever answered doctor, but maybe surf, uh, surf bum. Yeah. Surf, pro surfer. <laughs> So, you know, you, you talk about your own story, but you also share some amazing stories in your book. One of them is a kid called Leo who really changed your whole view of healthcare and medicine. So tell us yes. about Leo and what happened and how this sure. shifted your thinking. 
Yeah, so Leo was an eight-year-old when he came to see me, and and like so many kids these days, he had a number of behavioral issues. He was first diagnosed on the autism spectrum, and then eventually they settled on OCD and sensory processing disorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was so hard for his parents. He would throw these just crazy tantrums. He... You know, he was really particular about his environment. He had a super limited diet. He only ate a handful of foods, all of them processed and refined. Um, and, and you know, of course, they took him to doctors. And the doctors uh, you did what you would expect they would do. They prescribed medication that Leo would have to take, you know, indefinitely. And, uh, you know, his parents weren't really even aware that there was something else that they could do. Um, And this was the thing that really struck me about Leo's experience. Like so many other parents, they weren't aware that it could be something in his diet or could another underlying issue like his gut or heavy metal toxicity or something like that could actually be causing Mm -hmm. his symptoms. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, one of their, uh, his mom's friends had read a few articles on my blog on the gut brain axis and the underlying causes of behavioral disorders in kids and so they made an appointment to come see me and I did all my initial testing that, you know, you and I both do with all our new patients. Yeah. And sure enough, he had disrupted gut microbiome, SIBO, fungal overgrowth, gluten intolerance, intolerance of corn and soy and buckwheat and rice and eggs, all the stuff that he was eating in his toaster waffles, you know, that he had for dinner every night. He had arsenic high arsenic coming from the rice milk that he was drinking a lot of and a lot of whole bunch of nutrient deficiencies mm-hmm. because of his limited diet. And Which, by the way, are thing, things that no doctors, regular doctors, actually check Absolutely. For. Nobody. No, not one doctor. They saw a primary care doctor. They saw a psychiatrist. We, don't, we saw, don't get trained on how to do that. No. No. And so, you know, we addressed those issues, which uh, wasn't super easy because he had these OCD like tendencies. But over time, made some huge progress, was, you know, throwing fewer tantrums, diet had expanded significantly, was able to function at school better um, and really kind of became a different kid in about a nine month period. And at the end of that time, his mom said something that, that really struck me, uh, which was, why don't more doctors know about this? There's, there are you know, literally millions of kids out there like Leo that are suffering from these kinds of problems, and yet nobody's looking for the kind of things we've been uh, talking about or, or addressing here. And that's, that's really why I wrote the book, because I, wanted to, I want people to know that there's an alternative to just suppressing symptoms with drugs, you know, both doctors and other practitioners and patients. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, it's true that, that doctors don't really know about this. Why do you think yeah. that is? Well, I mean, uh, like you said, they're not really trained in that way. We have a, me- a paradigm, um, conventional medical paradigm, that really evolved when acute infectious disease or other kinds of emergency trauma situations were the, the biggest challenge. You know, back in 1900, the top three causes of death were typhoid, tuberculosis, and pneumonia. All acute infectious diseases or, you know, the reason other people would see a doctor would be a broken bone or a gallbladder attack or an injury mm-hmm. that they had at work. Mm-hmm. And, hey, conventional medicine is awesome for those kind of things, right? I mean, it's incredible what we can, uh, what, what conventional medicine has accomplished in that way. You know, being able to reattach limbs and restore sight to the blind. And, you know, if I get hit by a bus, I'm, I'm definitely going to the hospital, Um but those are all different challenges than what we're really facing today. Seven out of the ten, top 10 causes of death are now chronic diseases like heart disease and uh, you know, lung disease and diabetes and obesity. 
Um, and 86% of the healthcare dollars we spend go toward treating chronic disease. So I'm not saying we don't need, you know, standard conventional medicine. We still need to be able to remove cancerous tumors and do colonoscopies and endoscopies and take advantage of all oh, these sure. fantastic technologies. Sure. But we're using, that's not the tool for the job of dealing with chronic disease. And chronic disease is the biggest challenge we face from a healthcare perspective yeah. by far. So true. You know, it's, it's so true. I mean, we just have this incredible epidemic and we're so ill-equipped. And I'm here at Cleveland Clinic today and we're, you know, working on how do we start to deal with this because this yeah. is an acute care hospital. It's got some of the highest acuity of any patients in the world. And mm. yet they're also seeing this burden of chronic disease. And, right. you know, they're not really sure what to do. And so we're actually working on a program to help uh, build a chronic disease model into traditional care and actually doing it through groups and all sorts of approaches that really are very, very powerful. So I think yeah. it's really the future. So, so, you know, a lot of doctors, it's interesting when I got to Cleveland Clinic, some of the doctors were like, okay, whatever, you know, this is nonsense. But that was very few. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some were like, what took you so long to get here? It's about right. time. And yeah. then the, the bulk were like, wow, this is interesting. I want to learn more. How do I learn more? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what, what advice would you give to people who are just kind of fed up and doctors who really want to do something different, but they're not trained, they don't know how? It's kind of yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think the first thing is just learning about uh, what the alternatives are and that there is another approach. Um, and that's where it starts for, you know, most many people who you've trained, Mark, and who follow your work and people that have followed my work. Um, the first thing they need is a vision for the future, you know, not, not just um, their own future and what their life could look like and how mm -hmm. their practice might change, but a vision of how healthcare could change in a way that would actually serve the needs that we face yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. Because I think if, if you don't have that, um, nothing else really matters or, or, you know, it's easy to become really jaded and cynical and burned out. And we know from the statistics that burnout is a growing problem. One in two doctors now feel have ranked themselves as either often or always experiencing symptoms of burnout. We know that, you know, approximately 60, 70 percent of physicians have thought of quitting medicine. Um, you know, this is this is terrible because most doctors mm -hmm. go into this to help people, to really change people's lives. And they're mm -hmm. not feeling like they have that effect. So I think the first thing is to actually get inspired about a different approach and actually reconnect with the original reasons that that that, that you went into medicine in the first place yeah because a lot of people have fallen you know have gotten out of touch with that well, i call that the re-enchantment with medicine you know it happens yes. when people come to functional medicine courses or programs are like this is what i've always been wanting right you know i exactly i had a doctor in my practice um for the week who was shadowing me and she said you know i she'd been to you know all these medical conferences looking at what to do and and when she got to the functional medicine training, she was like, this is exactly what I've been looking right. for. I just didn't know it existed. I, in fact, I had a woman come to me after a, a talk once at a conference, and she was literally crying. Yeah. She was like, oh, my God, I, I knew this is what existed. I knew this is what I wanted. I just didn't know it was possible. Like I didn't know that exactly. it was actually this happening in medicine right now. And, and it is. It's slow. And there's a few of us doing it. And the outskirts of medicine, but you know, now we're at Cleveland Clinic, it's actually starting to get noticed and people are starting to in, be interested in other healthcare centers and there's an awareness that our system is broken, that we are failing at chronic disease, that we need something new, that this is, this makes sense. Um, yeah. 
and it's yeah it's pretty and, it, and people get inspired you know we, we did a survey it was kind of interesting we did a survey of all the Cleveland Clinic staff and we looked at you know how many and all the people who'd been to programs who worked at Cleveland Clinic we can track for the Institute for Functional Medicine and we right. found that 10% of the clinic, Cleveland Clinic staff had gone to some functional medicine program which wow. was shocking to me yeah. which means there's all these closet doctors out there who are kind of interested <laughs> in this but don't really want to talk about it yeah. do their job but they don't know how to get out so it's pretty, right. pretty exciting um, yeah yeah I mean that, and that's where programs like IFM which has been the, the leader in this world for so many years and my, my program which is newer uh, come in because they can actually give people not only the over you know the overall framework and methodology of functional medicine and how uh, it can be applied to prevent and reverse chronic disease, mm -hmm. uh, which is the most important thing that we need to be focusing on, not mm -hmm. just man managing it after it occurs, um, but but also the clinical skills that they need because you and I both know, Mark, that it's it's a different thing. It's a totally different thing to practice functional medicine than conventional medicine. Your whole practice will change. You know. Everything from the amount of time that you spend with patients to the questions that you ask to the tests that you order yeah. to the treatments that you prescribe, yeah. it's, it's a major overhaul. Yeah. And then the good news is, you know, there is training available for those doctors who are interested in this Institute for Functional Medicine. Your ADAPT yeah. program makes it really practical. It's a great, you know, sort of translational approach that makes it really doable and specific and pretty extraordinary. So I, I, I'm just really grateful you created that. I think it's, it's an awesome program. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So, so um, you know, we talked a little bit about about chronic disease. We talked about you know the fact that you know we now, for the first time in history, are having a generation that's going to live sicker and die younger than their parents. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, um, you know, why 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 is that? Well, this is one of the most heartbreaking statistics for me. I, I know you're a parent, Mark, and I am as well. I have a six-year-old daughter. And when I first read that statistic, my, my heart just broke. You know, this is, lifespan has been steadily increasing since we started to measure it in the modern world. There's never been a generation that was expected to live shorter life, lifespans than their parents. We just take it for granted that our kids are going to live longer than us because it's always been that way for as long as we've been measuring it. But that's not the case now. And furthermore... Uh, as you pointed out, um, even if we are living, you know, longer than our ancestors or, or our more recent ancestors, like 100 years ago, the studies are showing that we're spending those last 10 or 20 years in uh, in a compromised state. You know, we, we're burdened with chronic disease. We're immobile. We're spending a lot of that time in doctor's office or nursing home or, you know, some other situation where we're not actually enjoying uh, an active, vibrant, healthy life at the end of those years. So, um, you know, what's happening is that we have failed, you know, we've used modern technology and things like sanitation and, um, you know, antiseptic in the surgical theater and antibiotics and things like that to, to, to escape, you know, some of the challenges that our earlier ancestors faced in terms of not having access to emergency medical care, being, you know, being dying from a, a cut, you know, that got infected. And so those things increased our lifespan to a certain point. But now, as I mentioned, chronic disease is what's killing us, not the cut that we get that gets infected or, no. you know, a surgeon using a knife that wasn't sort properly. Slow <laughs> death, right. No, we're, we're, yeah, I call it a slow motion plague. 
in our in my book because I think it's every bit as insidious and dangerous as something like the bubonic plague, but it's just unfolding under a much longer mm. time frame. And it kills millions and millions and millions of more people. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I read a statistic that you know, um, you know, chronic disease, you know, is a bigger killer than um, smoking. You know, obesity for sure. Is, yeah. and, and food-related diseases that are driving chronic disease is a bigger killer than smoking, all car accidents, alcohol. Like it's just, right. it's just, it's just it, it's, the scale of it is enormous. Like if you actually think about, you know, how many people are suffering and how many people die, and the causes really are food system and the quality of the food and other things we eat, and it's it's just mind-boggling it's, it's that we're not, that, you know, yeah. I mean, if if this many people were dying from like, you know. I don't know, car accidents, like we'd be all up in arms and trying to figure it out and fix it. And yet no one is really fixing it. It's, it's an, yeah. I mean, I, I, I so agree with that. I, I actually have said that I think this is, it's not an exaggeration to say, to, to say that the survival of our species is at stake mm -hmm. when we're talking about this stuff. Um, and, and even in a relatively near future, the survival of the United States as a country <laughs> Uh, as a functioning, you know, financial entity is at stake because, as we've both said, if we don't get a handle on healthcare expenditures, they're going to, at some point in most of our of the lifetimes of people that are listening to this and watching this, it, it will completely overtake the federal budget, where we'll be spending 100% of our federal budget on healthcare with nothing left over for. You know, uh, you know, education, yeah. military, defense, anything. So this is this is a crisis at the level of like a national security emergency or even a threat, an existential threat to our species. Yeah, and the Depart sure. Department of Defense has actually classified chronic disease as an existential threat, equivalent to something like nuclear war or you know an attack on our soil, because they recognize that. That's what it is. We're not just talking about individual health here. We're talking about our ability to function as a as a nation and even as a as a species. That's true. A friend of mine, Harvey Karp, who's on the board of the Environmental Working Group with me, said, you know, that in this movie Fed Up, he said, you know, if a foreign nation was doing to our children what our own country and government are doing, we would go to war to protect them. That's such a you great. Know, we would, way we to would say go it. to war to yeah. protect them because they are being. Uh, polluted by the food industry, processed food, sugar. I mean, childhood obesity is, you know, it's just skyrocketing. Now, one in four kids, teenagers, one in That's, four yeah. are pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic. I mean, so this scary. is astounding to me, one in four. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's one thing when you see that for an adult, right? Because they're facing mm -hmm. maybe 30 or 40 years of disability. What happens to an eight-year-old kid who's diagnosed with pre-diabetes? They're looking mm -hmm. at decades of disability and not only that it's fourteen thousand dollars a year to treat a patient with type 2 diabetes yeah. what's that going to do i mean it's crazy it is pretty it is pretty crazy chris and i think you know the the good news is that that um you know it seems like we have a doomed healthcare system but i think we can fix it so like what are the, yes. tell us a little bit about the sort of this idea of um you know this idea that we have a doomed healthcare system like what are, what are the three reasons you talk about? Yeah, so, uh, you know, there are lots of 
issues that we've already touched upon, you know, conflicts of interest, you know, big pharma doesn't often have the same interest that we do as patients or as practitioners. There's, you know, insurance companies, et cetera. But in in my book, I, I think I argue that there are three issues that are even more fundamental than that. And one is uh, that we have not really fully embraced the, 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 the truth, the reality that the this mismatch between our modern diet and lifestyle and our body, what our bodies are hardwired for, it's what's really driving chronic disease. Um, the second thing is that, as I mentioned before, our medical paradigm is not set up to really uh, tackle chronic disease. And the third thing, which we haven't yet talked about, is that the way that we deliver healthcare in the U.S. isn't set up to support the interventions that would have the biggest impact. So mm-hmm. let me say a little more about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Haven't touched on that yet. Yeah. Um, so the average visit with a primary care doctor now is between eight and twelve minutes, according to the most recent statistics. Oh wow! So eight and twelve minutes. So if you go into the doctor and you have multiple chronic conditions, which one in four Americans do, and you're taking multiple medications, which many Americans do, and you're presenting with new symptoms, you know, a new problem yeah. you haven't even talked to the doctor about, eight to ten minutes is not going to be enough. To, eat, to barely even say hello, review the mm-hmm. medications, and write a prescription for another medication. Mm-hmm. There's no time to talk about diet, no time to talk about lifestyle, no time to talk about behavior change. And even if those things do get talked about, talk, you know, information is not enough. We know that. You know, it, it, like if it was, we wouldn't have an obesity epidemic. Everybody knows what they should be eating and doing. You know, for the most part, there's some disagreement about the finer points, but. Uh, we know that just telling someone to follow a healthy diet or to get more exercise isn't going to be effective. We actually have to create a support struct infrastructure mm-hmm. that actually gives patients the ability to succeed. So let me just use an example. Imagine if you went to the doctor and you had high cholesterol or you had high blood pressure or high blood sugar, and they said, okay, well, First of all, imagine that you got that testing before you developed diabetes in the first place or even pre-diabetes and they they saw that you were in the high normal range. And and instead of just telling you to come back later once you already have pre-diabetes, they say, okay, you're you're in the normal range, but you're you're already getting a little up there. So we're going to actually intervene now because we know that if we do that, we can prevent you from developing this in the first place and it'll be a lot more successful. And then they say... We're going to set you up with our health coach that we have on staff, and they're going to come to your house. They're going to do a pantry clean out. They're going to, you know, tell you what foods to eat. They're going to set you up with some recipes and meal plans. They're going to go shopping with you to show you how to actually mm-hmm. get this food. Yeah. And then we're going to set you up with a gym membership and a personal trainer, and they're going to get you all set, you know, going on this exercise program. And great news, your insurance company is paying for all of that. And in not six to mention months, your meditation teacher, <laughs> not to mention your meditation. We can keep going on. And in six months, your blood sugar is going to be normal. But not only that, you're going to have more energy. You're going to sleep better. Your digestion is going to be better. You're, you're going to have better relationship with your family and friends mm-hmm. and, and better. You're going to perform at a higher level at work. And that's going to cost less than ten thousand dollars for the You know, for the healthcare system, if they were to do that. And could save well over a million dollars over that patient's lifetime if they had gone on to develop type 2 diabetes. So that's all possible. And it's all afford- not only is it affordable, it's way cheaper than what we're doing now. It's totally true. I, I remember this patient came in once and their blood sugar was like 115, which is pretty well under pre diabetes. Yeah. 
And yeah. I said, wow, did your doctor check that out? He said, oh, yeah. I said, well, what did the doctor say? Well, they said we'd watch it. I said, watch, <laughs> watch for what? They said, well, wait until I get diabetes and then put me on medication. And I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right? it doesn't make any sense at all. No, I, I mean, mean the beautiful thing is, thing is using functional medicine, meaning to get people on insulin with yeah. diabetes and get them off insulin and, and reverse the diabetes, stuff that is just not, I mean, we're, we're, we're doing this here at Cleveland Clinic. We're actually doing a study to actually get people on insulin, off insulin, and show that we can do it compared to standard care. Right. Uh, and and uh, nobody believes it because they don't see it. You know, right. I think we only I, see what we believe. We don't believe what we see. That's true. And I would also add that we have become, you know, human beings are very adaptable for better or for worse. Um, and one of the problems is that we've, because chronic disease is so common, we've come to accept that it's just normal. It's not. And it's not normal at all for humans to develop chronic disease. And that's one of the biggest messages of this book that I hope gets out there, which you don't have to accept it. It's not just getting older. It's not just part of human nature to be chronically ill. And we know this from looking at populations around the world that have maintained their traditional diet and lifestyle and don't have these chronic diseases. Yeah. They have the same genes, but they don't have these diseases. So we know that's something in our environment. And the good news about that is we can take action and actually and, and change it and reverse it. So you're, you're talking about that. How do we how do we change our our health and our genes? You know, you, you talked about, you know, chronic disease. But what is what are the causes and then how do what are the cures? Well, I mean, at the simplest level, you can use a mathematical formula to express it. So modern lifestyle plus genetic predisposition equals modern disease. So, you know, we, we do the, our genes do play a role, but they mostly play a role in, in terms of determining how the modern lifestyle will screw us up. Right. So if you took 100 people who are living a hunter gatherer lifestyle and you drop them in New York City, they're not all going to develop the same disease. Some people will get diabetes, some will get hypothyroidism, some will become obese, some will get an autoimmune disease. And that's determined by the genes. But the common factor in all of that is they only develop those diseases once they're dropped into that modern environment. They don't develop them and use living their ancestral uh, uh, paradigm. So right. if they're eating you know, nutrient-dense whole foods that don't come in a bag or a box, if they're you know, moving around throughout the day instead of sitting for long periods and they're getting plenty of exercise, they're getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night at least. They're managing their stress. They're they're living they have social support. You know, they're they they've got confidants and people they have relationships. They're they're having pleasure pleasure and fun, all the things that are part of our human DNA template. Then they're we're naturally healthy and vital. But when we stray from that which is very easy to do in our modern lifestyle, unfortunately, that's when we have problems. So it's about realigning, again, that ancestral template or blueprint, um, bringing that back online. And, uh, you know, the good news is that it's totally possible to do, even if you're living in a modern environment. I'm not talking about going back to, you know, living in a cave or anything I don't like that. get a loincloth and a rock. <laughs> Sleep in the backyard. No, you live a totally you know, normal life, but you just do it in a way that's more in alignment with what our bodies are, are set up for. That's so awesome, Chris. Um, so what are you really excited about in this whole space of medicine? What do, what do you feel is the future of medicine? What do you hope for? I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this, this collaborative model that we've been talking about. I know you've been um, working on it at the Cleveland Clinic that, that brings together 
doctors, licensed practitioners, also mid-level practitioners like nurse practitioners and physician assistants, and then, you know, nutritionists and health coaches, and to create this super supportive ecosystem for patients where they just feel totally taken care of, supported in every way, not just in terms of medications and, you know, the, the stuff they get from their doctor, but actually the, the support and the handholding that they need to be successful with the diet and lifestyle changes, because I think that's been one of the biggest missing elements, even in functional medicine. For sure. Uh, it's that level of support. You know, we all had an appointment with the doctor where we get a big, great treatment plan, but then it falls through the cracks. And so this is the missing element where we create these teams and this team-based approach to care and groups where people can come together and connect with others who are struggling with their same condition and they don't feel so isolated and alone. Mm-hmm. And that's what really excites me because I, I, I think that's possible, not only possible, but it's necessary and it's already happening now at places like Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it was the first thing I said when I got here. I'm like, we need to have everybody go through a group before they even see the doctor. And uh- it took us a while to get that implemented, but now we're doing this, and half of the people that go through the group don't even need to see the doctor. The doctor they're exactly. already better. Absolutely. And, then, and the ones who don't do get better, but they might need a little tune-up, or maybe they have heavy metals, or they have some other layer of stuff you have to take care of. And it's pretty it's pretty awesome. Like, And I think that, that there was an insight I had after I went to Haiti and saw how Paul Farmer got TB and AIDS better using the power of community. And I think that's really a key f- feature of functional medicine, which is not only how do we change biology, but how do we change behavior? And that's, that's really right. what we've been focused on both of those now. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, your book has really kind of created a breakthrough. I think it's created a model for us to really think about healthcare differently. It's, it's starting a conversation that needs to be had. It's really about the future of healthcare. Uh, anybody who's interested in a different way of thinking about disease, a new model for thinking about how to figure it out and if for those practitioners listening how to get trained in this i mean i just check out chris's book on conventional medicine his his program the adapt program where, where can they go to learn about this so the book is at unconventionalmedicinebook.com and they can actually download the first three chapters for free if they'd like to check it out before buying it and then uh, all of my training resources are at cresserinstitute.com awesome chris well check Check out Chris's work. He's he's a superstar in functional medicine. I encourage everybody to learn about what he's doing and read his blogs because I do. So thanks, Chris. Great to have you. Well, thank you, you Mark. I, I appreciate everything you've done for this movement and the in- mentorship and inspiration for me as a as a you know personally. It means a lot to me. Thank you, Chris.